Now, so how do you spell cheese, huh? How do you spell cheese? Wouldn't it be nice, though, if you could call a number up and get some advice and get some direction and uh, in a few uh, little talks or conversations with an operator, you hang up and you're a new person. Doesn't quite work that way, does it? Sometimes when I walk out and we're getting ready to go somewhere, Diana will look at me and say, are you wearing that? And at that moment, I know I'm not. God has put us together that we would be appropriately dressed for him at the appearance of Jesus. We cannot do that independently. We like to think we can live this private faith, this private religion. Some people have that thought, I don't need the church. That person stands in high disagreement with God who, who puts us together in relationship to be shaped. We're shaped in a number of ways. And the text before us is such a great help for us. And when I look at this text, I realize how far, far I have to go in being like Jesus. Just from these, this one passage, uh, we have much to learn and many ways in which to grow. Here's our passage. Colossians 3 is where we are. I remember my first really introduction to Colossians 3 was a freshman in college when my mentor, uh, John Wilson, was teaching freshman orientation at Cincinnati Christian University, and our first assignment was to memorize Colossians 3 because it's so practical to the Christian life. And I don't want to show myself to be proud that I can memorize this, so I'll read it. <laughs> okay. Here we are. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive what, uh, one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, if we're serious on being shaped into the image of Jesus Christ because we have a renewed knowledge of our Creator, as Paul says, 
then here's what it takes. First of all, we look up. We look up to Jesus who is seated at God's right hand. That one truth initiates all things new. We have a new perspective. Uh, He is, Jesus Christ is among us. He is within us if we've been born again. And he is also seated at God's right hand. He is all of that. And when we are made new in Christ, he comes to live in us, and we are seated, he says, with him, with Christ in the heavenly realms. What that means is, from, a, from, a, from, from what has happened to us, we have a new perspective We have a new way of seeing the life and seeing the world. We are here, but we're also there. You know, we see things differently. We're flying over the Grand Canyon or the the Great Rift Valley in Africa or Mount McKinley in Alaska or the Alps from a distance that all looks pretty flat. But, But approaching those places or viewing them up close, we see all kinds of terrain We see all kinds of features that seem indomitable and uncrossable, that that becomes overwhelming to us. When we are seated in the heavenly realms, we have a new perspective about the journey of life, the terrain of life. We deal with the peaks differently, the valleys differently, because, because we see everything in a different way. We have gained a Christian worldview, a godly worldview, and everything is impacted. It's amazing how that happens. Life is not as overwhelming as it once was. We realize that it doesn't have the final word, whatever we're going through. There's a neurologist by the name of Oliver Sacks. And he tells about performing surgery on Virgil, who was blind from birth. When Virgil was 50 years old, he was able to undergo a surgery that enabled him to see. And it's interesting that Virgil could then start making out color differentiation and notice objects, but it took a long time for him to learn the relationship between objects and their... um, and, and their practical uses, or how objects relate to one another. And he writes, one must die as a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. It is the interim, the limbo, that is so terrifying. What happens to us in Christ is we do have a new way of seeing, and we're on a journey, and in this journey, we are learning to relate differently with people and the world and the culture. And it, it's a challenge for us. But, but if we don't have, keep intact that heavenly perspective or the eternal perspective, put a better way, then we will always be struggling in this journey to be like Christ. We also have a new set of values. The beginning says, set your hearts on things above. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. This word set means synchronize. We synchronize our lives with the Spirit of God. You, you have one of those houses where every clock has a different time? Yeah. You know what I did about it? I bought an atomic clock. An atomic pl- a clock works according to the, to the, uh, the, the mean time 
that is the global mean time rooted in Greenwich. Or the, it's the Greenwich mean, Greenwich mean Time rooted in the observatory, Royal Observatory in Greenwich, England. All clocks are set by that, except my atomic clock. <laughs> it's always been five minutes slow. And I want to throw it against the wall because I know something is not right internally with that clock since it's not functioning as it is supposed to. Now, when we are born again in Christ, we have a new life, we have a new perspective, we're in a new journey, we have a new goal, a new ideal. But there is an internal problem, and that is we have a sin nature and although on one hand that sin nature has been crucified, it still nevertheless wants to rear its ugly head. And there is one standard, Jesus Christ. And if my life is not reconciled with his, it's not the standard's problem, it's my internal problem, right? And that's why we keep coming together to be shaped by one another and by the Spirit of God within us. Together. We are made better as we share the Spirit of Christ. We look up. The second thing we do is we take off. We take off. He says, you died. So these old clothes don't work anymore. They don't match. They're not fit to be worn. I've told some of you the story of my mom who died and went to be with the Lord last December. She was 92 years old. And my mom was a trendy dresser right up till she died. I don't think she was materialistic. She really, she really loved clothes, and she really looked for a bargain. And when she bought something, she'd have it for decades. But when she died, I counted she had 126 blouses. That's in assisted living. <laughs> Forty pairs of pants. So a couple, a couple of months before uh, she died, we were talking about a funeral. She wanted to talk about it. I said, well, Mom, what do you want to be buried in? And she said, well, I don't know. I don't, want know, don't know what season of the year it's going to be. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> My brother and I got a big kick out of it. The old clothes, it really didn't matter what Mom's going to be buried in, right? It's all, all going to nothing. This, these old clothes that we've been wearing, they have no part with us. And yet, it's such a challenge. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, because of these. Let's skip that. Let's go on. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. All that list there. You know, when John writes about Lazarus and his resurrection that Jesus made happen, uh, Lazarus, of course, been sick. Jesus got to the tomb. Uh, he'd been in there four days. He said, take the stone away. And the people didn't want to, remember. They objected because he'd been dead four days. It was going to smell bad. I love the King James Version at certain times, like this time, when it says, he stinketh. <laughs> and we do stinketh. In King James and in New International Versions, however you want to say it, we stinketh. Sin stinks. And we may feel good because we're a little less immoral than somebody else, or we're not as bad as we used to be, but friends, that is not sufficient because of this standard in Christ we have. How many of you are or were salesmen 
and careers. How many of you salesmen were ever satisfied? <laughs> I've never met a satisfied salesman. Ask a salesman, sales business. Well, it could be better. It'd be better. They're always hanging their heads just a little bit. Uh, no salesman ever says, could not be better. It can always be better. That's how it is in our own lives. How's your Christian life going? Well, it could be better. <laughs> That's true. It is true. We're never quite satisfied with what, what has happened so far. Remember that Paul wrote in Romans 7, boy, the things I want to do, I'm not doing, and I'm doing the things I don't want to do, I'm not doing things I should do, all that sort of things. Who shall rescue me, he says, from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's right. So here are these lists. He's saying take off the old urges. That starts with verse 5. Put to death, therefore, ever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality. The Greek word there is porneia, where we get the word pornography. He says it's all kinds of illicit sex. He says, it's a, it's a, of course, it's a multi-million dollar business in our country and the world. I dare say there are many in here that are struggling with it. It's a chain that binds us and keeps us small spiritually. Monday night, tomorrow night is Celebrate Recovery. No one will judge you. No one will condemn you. You need to be there. That's a problem. And don't count, mark yourselves out, ladies. 20% of the pornography viewed is viewed by women. It's a growing industry in our nation. Impurity, which is uh, all kinds of perverted sexual acts or um, things ungodly, premarital sex, adultery, extramarital sex, in other words, those kinds of things. Lust, which is fantasizing. You have a life of fantasy, of, of sexual adventure with a person you're not married to. That's what that's about. Evil desires. Now, this is a bridge over to the next word, greed, because we've talked about this word recently, evil desires, that Paul uses. The Greek word there means over-desire. It's not really a sexual word at all. It's only here used, but you see... It's about anything that can be good in your life that you over-desire. In other words, that we say, I've got to have that or my life's not worth living. I've got to have that to be happy. It could be a good thing, but if, you, if we over-desire it, then it's out of place. It doesn't belong. And we have greed, of course. And who wants to admit they're greedy? I don't, but I am. Now, you may feel really good right now. Got that, got that, got that. Well, fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. <laughs> he says, take off the old ugly practices. Rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger. The Greek word is thumos, and it's this slow, seething anger. It's the kind of anger a person has that they don't even know they have. It's so buried within that it's hard for you to admit it's even there. And yet there's all kinds of fingers that come because of it into ex, uh, to life. There's this, there's this pressure there. The second word is rage. That's a violent outburst, or it could be temper tantrums. If you're a kind of person that says, you know, I'm pretty easygoing, but you crossed me one too many times, and boy, well, then you have a problem with rage, and you need to admit that. A person under the Spirit of Christ does not say, watch out if you, um, it has to come under the Lordship of Christ. A malice, you won't necessarily hurt somebody that's wrong to you, but you sure love it when somebody else hurts them. 
That's malice when they hurt in their lives some way because they've hurt you. Slander, of course, attacking one's character or whispering behind somebody's back or gossiping about somebody. Uh, filthy language. It's interesting, in the younger generation today, they kind of uh, uh, poo-poo the idea of filthy language. It's just man-created language. It's not really that big a deal, but it is to Christ. It is the Spirit of Christ. When we have language that matches that of the world, the Spirit of God says, "Uh uh-uh. He says right here, our speech pattern is different from the rest of the world. Every culture has this. We have to get rid of it from our own lips. Do not lie to each other, it says. It's interesting how easily we condemn somebody in the first list but give a free pass to those who are guilty of sins in the second list. Probably because most of us, you know, are, are, are more relate to those in the second list and the first list. You know, God has appointed us to be like Jesus. Do you ever get disappointed in your Christian life? Do you ever get disappointed in yourself? I mean, I look at some of you today, and I know I have wronged some of you by my words or forgetting about you or not noticing something in your life. I, I, I think of, the, of, of all, all the, even in my, my own thought life or my motivation life, and, and, and you strip me bare, and all kinds of things are still there after 53 years of being a Christian. It's still there. I, I, I'm continually disappointing myself. We are appointed to be like Jesus, and when we fail, we are disappointed. We are living outside of what we were appointed for. That's why sin is so serious. And that's why we don't take it lightly, but we care about it. We, we are appointed to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Now, we're tempted to blame our environment or to blame our bloodline. Paul says here, And I think it's why he puts in this context, there's no Greek or Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. In other words, you can't blame anybody. You can't say, well, I'm Irish. You know, Irish, we're just hotheads. Well, I'm Italian. We're womanizers. Lust is a problem. Deal with it. No, you deal with the Spirit of Christ. You can't say, well, my family was just like that. We're blunt. So is that how the Spirit of Christ in you is to live? You know, I know I treat my wife badly, but my, my dad treated my mom that way, and I just learned it well. So, what's that got to do with being new in Jesus? You see, the Spirit of Christ comes in. Now, this isn't accomplished simply by a strong amount of willpower. In fact, taking off isn't as much about, about willpower as it is about admitting that we don't have the power to do it to accomplish this, to be who we're called to be. You see, our, our, our intention to change is not the same as the power to change. We undervalue sin's power, and we overvalue our own willpower. I do not have the power to be who Christ wants me to be. I have to align myself with the Holy Spirit of God. I have to come under his authority. I have to cooperate with him. That's what we have to do as we grow in being new creatures in Christ. So we look up, we take off, and we put on. Notice the imperative. 
He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. That's an imperative. You clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Dress like Jesus. Romans 13, 14, Paul says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we put on compassion. The word compassion uh, means bowels of mercy. I've never said to my wife, I love you with all my intestines. <laughs> but that's how the Greek world viewed emotion. They saw the intestines as the, the bowels, as the seed of emotion. Um, and, and that's why it creeps into our language. We'll say, I just have a gut feeling about something. So, so we know that, and sometimes stress will cause, you know, intestinal issues uh, that, that, that we're going through. And so um, Christian people are the most compassionate people. Why? Or ought to be because we have been treated with great compassion long before we deserved it. If, you, if we only are compassionate toward people who deserve it, we are so unchristlike. No, we, we, are, we are moved because... Because Christ was moved about our condition, right? So this isn't about people who deserve compassion. Uh, I, I can't quote this right, but we know we have a team in Katy, Texas, uh, working with hurricane victims. And uh, Peggy Shepard, who's on the team, met a, a woman this week. And uh, the, the woman was, was moved that they were there because now the media attention has been drawn away from Texas. And lots of people have left. The attention is left. And here were people coming to Katy, Texas to, to help and to bless. And she told Peggy, you know, I, I'm really an atheist, but I may have to change my opinion by the time you leave. You don't know what could happen by acts of kindness and compassion. Put on the kindness of Jesus. You know, grace moves from the heart to the hands. Kindness is compassion in action. If we have a certain feeling and move by compassion, we don't do anything. That doesn't, that doesn't accomplish anything. We model Jesus' compassion who laid down his life and who in his ministry performed all kinds of acts of kindness to all kinds of people. Whether they deserved it or not, it was beside the point. We put on the humility of Jesus, which, said, which doesn't say, I'm somebody, nor does it say, I'm nobody. We get it mixed up, and we've heard this often, but it's so true that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking, it's thinking of yourself less. When Paul wrote to the, the Philippian believers, he said, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, because that is our tendency. We're to follow the humility of Christ. The truth is, when, when someone criticizes you, and you are a truly humble person, it doesn't destroy you. Why? Because true humility comes from who God has made you to be. When you realize your salvation, your salvation comes from him, and you're, you're, in, you're of inestimable value before him because the blood poured out for you, if someone criticizes you, it doesn't matter to you because your worth is already established in Jesus Christ, Right? And he's the one you stand before ultimately. You're not answerable to everybody else, but to him. But at the same time, we guard these crazy egos of us that always want to creep in. And when that ego creeps up, you better say, down boy. Because, you know, your ego, our egos can, can devour us. 
Put on the gentleness of Christ, of Jesus. Um, and, and we've said over and over again, gentleness, strength under control. Jesus was not a wimp. He was a man's man, a strong man. Think of all that he endured with great strength. He, and plus he threw out the scam artists in the temple. And yet he held little children on his lap and stroked their cheeks and blessed them. I mean, he was a perfect example of strength under control. How different from our culture. Back in 84, Robert Ringer uh, wrote a bestseller called Winning by Intimidation. That's at 84. If you go to Amazon today, it still gets four out of five stars. How unlike Jesus, who came and demonstrated a gentleness in his spirit, in his kindness, uh, how, how good he was and the way that he exercised his life, winning. We win by yielding to the lordship of Christ. We put on the patience of Jesus. Uh, this word patience in our text is probably not the best word. The Greek word more suggests long-suffering. Because it has to do with that next line about bearing with one another. It's dealing with people that are difficult to deal with. It's learning to go a long way with people. In other words, do you have a long fuse with people? And does your fuse get longer and longer the more you walk with people? It, 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 it really, you're willing to go the distance for the sake of other, others because of the distance Jesus went for you and me. Peter wrote of Jesus, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to him who judges justly. And then put on the forgiveness of Jesus. He says, bear with one another, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. He, he, he did something for us we couldn't do for ourselves. We carried a deep debt in our lives that we could not pay. That's why Christ came God forgave before we even knew how bad a shape we were in. He made it possible for us to know his forgiveness and his grace. Is there anything in your life today, any person in your life today that you are still holding on to? Is that one of the chains that binds you today? Is it cause you to be a bitter person, a sarcastic person, a cynical person, a critical negative person? No wonder you're that way if you still feed on an unforgiving spirit. We have to let go of those kinds of things. We are so impacted by the forgiveness of Jesus, and we will all be weighed down until we learn to forgive as he has forgiven us. And put on the love of Jesus. Over all these things, he says, put on love that binds us together in perfect, binds all these things together in perfect unity. The Beatles sang it well. All you need is love. But it was a different kind of love, Right? But it's a biblical truth nevertheless. All we need really is the love of God to so impact us. That's really all we need to start practicing fully all these other aspects of who he is to become like him. Otherwise, otherwise, our lives have just gotten a little more religious. We've just tacked a little Jesus on so that we're safe enough to go to heaven maybe but not serious enough to really become like him. And God saved us to make us like his son, Jesus. How are you doing with that? 
Don't dare try to do it by yourself. Don't dare go out of here and say, you know what? I'm going to be patient this week. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be loving this week. You can't do it, friends. You can't do it. When Paul Wright wrote to Timothy later in the New Testament, he said, you know, physical training is of some value. We have in the United States more than 36,000 gyms, more highly populated in January than any other month of the year, <laughs> all right? Huge fallout. Why? Because physical training is difficult. Paul says there is some value to that. But instead, he says, we are to train ourselves to be godly. We train ourselves. It's not just the decision we made, we make. So we're in worship this morning, but we're not just doing this because it's a habit and a Christian routine we should do. By being together, we, it's just one of the training things we do to be godly. When we're in life group together, studying the Word, we are training ourselves to be godly. When we are serving together in the name of Christ, we are training ourselves to be godly. When we are opening the Scripture during the week, we are training ourselves to be godly. When we pray before our meals at the beginning of our day and throughout the day as we seek God's wisdom and counsel and doing our work, we are training ourselves to be godly. And the result of that is that we increasingly, little by little, become like Jesus. This is all in preparation for a great day when the Bible says that the Lord is going to appear in the heavens and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the Bible says that he is going to come back as a bride we're going to be presented to the Lord as a bride beautifully adorned for her husband. And we're going to sit down, Revelation says, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And on that day, it's going to be a brilliant day. I wish I could fathom what it's like. Now, mind you, when we are born again in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. So from God's perspective, he sees us as being holy. The Bible says when you were baptized, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. So from his perspective, we're all wearing white today. But on a practical level in this world, you and I know we're not living up to those garments, but we want to because of what he did for us. And I don't want Jesus sounding like my wife on that day saying to me, you're wearing that? I want him to see me dressed, ready to live with him forever. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for calling us to a life that is really life, a life that requires discipline and requires aligning our lives with the Holy Spirit of God. Father, we cannot do this. It is you in us, and so we welcome you. We welcome your power in our lives. We endeavor to align ourselves and train ourselves in this move toward being like Jesus. And I pray even this week, in small ways, 
we will look like Jesus more than we did this past week. And by so doing, give you praise and honor and glory that you deserve. May God be praised. In Jesus' name, amen.